For all of my fellow children of the 90s, we remember the iconic lyric that defined a generation in West Philadelphia was on the playground where I spend most of my days. And if you are too old or too young to know what that was a reference to, we can talk about that later. But I really do want to begin this morning talking about something that actually happened in Philadelphia around that time period in 1989. A guy uh, who is not a collector, um, just a normal, ordinary guy, ended up at a flea market in Philadelphia. He saw a painting, and he was not actually very interested in the painting, but he really liked the frame. So he bargained at the flea market for a $4 painting because he really wanted a $4 frame. When he got home, he took the painting out of the frame, because he really wanted the frame, not the painting. Did you get that part, right? Takes the painting that he didn't really want out of the frame that he actually wanted, and he sees a tear in the canvas of the painting. Notices that there's something behind it. Tears the painting off, because he didn't really want the painting. Behind the painting that he didn't really want was a copy, an actual copy of the Declaration of Independence, like pure Nick Cage, like actual, in 1776, they think there was around 500 copies made of the Declaration of Independence. In 1989, there were only 24 known copies still surviving, uh, most of which, uh, only three of which were in in, um, private collections, most of which were at universities or museums. This guy bought a $4 picture that he didn't want and ended up with one of the original copies of the Declaration of Independence. And uh, about two years later, in June of 1991, uh, they took it to auction and it sold for $2.42 million. Maybe you think you scored a deal for Christmas presents already this year, but I don't know of any $4 investment that turned into a $2.42 million iconic historical find. But this morning we are going to talk about something that I think gets far undervalued in the rush and the routine and the distractions of life. Something that we get way more than what we bargained for when we actually utilize the treasure. This morning, we are talking about prayer. Those of you who have been hanging with me for the last 15 years, you've heard me say a lot. Uh, One of the phrases during undergrad that's stuck in my long-term memory is a professor who used to say, nothing is talked about more and practiced less in the church than prayer. We tell people all the time that we're praying. We actually tell them that probably more than we actually pray or more than we pray about our own struggles, talked about more and practiced less. One of the greatest preachers in modern history, Billy Graham, before he passed away at the Uh, Towards the very end of his life, he said, prayer is the most important thing we can ever do. And if I could do my ministry over again, pause. Billy Graham said, if I could do my ministry over again, I would pray more than I preached. We're going to talk about prayer this morning. Grab your Bible if you would. If you do not have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please let that be our gift to you today. Uh, We'd love for you to hang on to that. And we're going to invite you to join with us in our tradition. Every week we hold up our Bibles and we say a creed about what we believe this book to be. If that's not where you're at in your spiritual journey, we are not trying to force you to lie in church today. But if that is where you're at, then join with us. We're going to lead the way. Let's hold up our Bibles and let's say this with some conviction this morning. The Bible is the Word of God. 
The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Daniel chapter 9. If you're using one of those uh, Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 699. Daniel chapter number 9. If you're a guest today, we've been working through the book of Daniel for most of uh, this fall season together. Um, Next week, we're going to kind of land the plane before we hop into Advent. But one of the things throughout this study, as we've been going verse by verse through this book, is we've seen the topic of prayer appear a whole lot. And so far, every time it showed up in the story, I said, hang on, we're going to talk more about that later. Well, this is the later. Here we are. We're going to park on the idea of prayer this morning here in Daniel chapter 9. And it's a fitting way as we're coming to the conclusion of the book that prayer would be a part of the story again. Because we've seen this as a pattern in the life of Daniel. So why not? It just makes sense. We're not going to read the whole chapter this morning because it gets very repetitive kind of in the middle. Uh, We're going to skip a couple verses, but I do want us to read most of this chapter. So hang with us. Here we go. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant of Mede, he's made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Again, if you've been with us each week, uh, you remember Darius. He was in chapter 6, the iconic story of Daniel in the lion's den. Um, If you've not been tracking with us, you can go to our YouTube channel and get caught up. Um, or you can feel free to read it. It's probably more interesting than listening to me talk about it. Either way, I'm, I'm, I'm secure with that, but uh, that, that's about the timeline of the story. So if you remember, we've been saying don't think of Daniel as the little teenage boy anymore. That was chapter 1. So he's in his early 80s uh, whenever we get here to chapter 9. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord of Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he's saying, hey, how long before I can go back home? How long before this whole I've been uh, led away as a prisoner of war? How long before all of this is over? Verse 3, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God. That is a pretty good beginning to a prayer. Eventually, the Son of God would come in the flesh and say, here's how you're supposed to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, Those of you who know the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, well, you're going to see that as a little bit of a template, actually, in this chapter. He's going to pray for God to provide what's needed. He's going to ask for uh, forgiveness uh, of sins. Anyways, that's a little... Just kind of side thought. Keep that in the back of your mind. Oh, Lord, great and awesome God who keeps covenant. Aren't you glad we serve a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God? This Friday afternoon, uh, Nikki Briley and Hunter Wood are going to enter into a marriage covenant together. And that's exciting. But the hope of that covenant, being an enduring covenant, is actually the God in whom they are making that covenant. He's the covenant-making God, and he's the covenant-keeping God. His, his steadfast love he keeps with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then he says this, We've sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the peoples of the land. 
To you, O Lord. I love this. He's going to talk about some stuff that belongs to God and some stuff that belongs to him in, in us. And I love this. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. But to us, open shame, we have been exposed as rebellious. As at this day, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near, those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them, because of the treachery that they've committed against you. He's going to say again, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, and including to the bigwigs who are part of us, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we've sinned against you. But look again what belongs to the Lord. To, to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. <laughs> what belongs to God? Righteousness. Mercy and forgiveness. I just think that's good. For we've about against him. We've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants' prophets. He's going to continue to say that over and over again in different ways and from different vantage points. And so uh, I'm going to let you read that on your own this week during your quiet time. But skip down with me to verse number 18. O God, incline your ear and hear. Can we just stop there for a minute? And, and maybe if, if you're not as familiar with the Bible, you already got it. But those of us who've been in church for a long time, can we just pause for two seconds and think about the audacity of what he just said? God, lean over here and listen to me. Come on. Like God. Psst. Right? Like some of you are like, I can't get my kids to listen to me. My dog doesn't listen to me. God. Come here. I'll tell you something. Uh, God forgive me that that's not amazing to me. Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that's called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. We're going to circle back to that because that's like a big deal right there. God, I'm walking up with boldness and asking something of you, not because of my goodness, but because of yours. Woo! That's, that'll, that'll preach. So we will in a minute. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Man, that's just good. Delay not for your own sake, oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Your glory is ultimately at stake here, God, not our comfort. Mm. All right, so now this gets interesting, and this is where I've prayed prayers similar to this in my life. I've just never had this happen, okay? While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God the, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I'd seen in the vision at first, we talked about Gabriel last week, came to me in swift flight. Wowzers. Anybody? Hey, Gabriel, what? At the time of the evening sacrifice, it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if you really care about those uh, things in the Jewish uh, sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Okay, now it shifts again. And now we're fixing to, like, so I'm going to read some stuff, and you're going to be like, 
and just we're, we're all going to collectively together. Okay. Seventy weeks. This is the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Oh, finishing transgression sounds good. To put an end to sin. That sounds even better. To atone for iniquity. Yes, please. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Could use a dose of that. To seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. This is really good news. Know therefore and understand. I wish you didn't tell us to understand. Because what we're going to read for the rest of this is not super understandy. Okay. Understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So in seven weeks, the Messiah is going to come. Is that what that actually means? Like seven actual, okay. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in trouble time. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. To the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. For half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Understand this. Let's be dismissed. Okay, so here's the thing. For us to appropriately discuss the prophecy of the 70 weeks, it would probably take us about 70 weeks. Okay? And here's the thing about 70 weeks. The scholars that I respect the most tend to interpret this one of two different ways. People that I hold in incredibly high regard have different views of exactly what this means. And is this about the math? And what does it mean by a week? And, okay, it's years, but our calendar is different than their calendar. And so even the year isn't 365 days, it's 360 days. And it it really um, is quite interesting Maybe to you, not at all. Maybe to some of you, it's interesting. Here's what I want to do. I want to put a resource in your hand. If you are interested in studying this more on your own, because this is not where we're going to park this morning. I don't want to miss the main point of this chapter by going down this rabbit hole. But I do want to give you a resource or two. If you text 70 weeks to 94,000, a text will come back to you with two links on it. 70-W-E-E-K-S to 94,000. Uh, It's going to send you two links. Here's the thing about the two links. There's two good things about the two links. Number one is it's a a summary of the two majority positions of how to interpret this. And so it will help you think rightly, uh, I think, in a healthy way. Also, the two resources in those two links are tools that I really want you to use in life. The first link is an organization called gotquestions.org. Extremely helpful thing, um, run by a guy uh, actually from here. He went to DTS. Um, Great resource. Many of you have come and asked me questions, and I've said, let's sit down and talk about it. But go read what Got Questions has to say first, and then let's talk about it. So some of you have heard me uh, refer to this before. The second resource is Crossway.org, which is the publisher who produced the English Standard Version, uh, the version that I typically most of the time preach out of. Uh, Another great resource that also presents another view. So this is for your own benefit. You can uh, 
text 70 weeks to 94,000. If you are worshiping with us online, uh, these links are either in a comment or in the description, depending on what platform you are watching on. And so you can also study that. Here's the only thing I ask about those two resources. (laughs) Don't read them right now. Hang on just a minute. You can read them before kickoff of the Cowboys game. I want us to not miss the bigger point, I think, and, and, and practical point of this chapter. What is clear and obvious is there are some things for us to observe about the treasure of prayer that I do not want us to miss this morning. So I want us to jump in first and foremost because this is the... Like a lot of what I'm going to say this, this morning I'm very excited and passionate about, but please don't miss this. The point of prayer, the purpose for prayer is intimacy. The reason there is such a thing as prayer, its mission, its intent, is intimacy with the living God. The purpose of prayer is not to get the thing we're asking for. It's to connect with the living God. Let me say that again. The purpose of prayer is not to get the thing we're asking for. It's to connect with the living God. The purpose of prayer is not actually the resource that we need. It's the source that we would connect with Him. The purpose of prayer is not to get the thing. It is connection with the living God. The purpose of prayer is not for me to demand, here's how, God, you need to fix all of the things I don't like about my life. And if I'm honest... If I step back from a lot of my prayer conversations, it sounds way more like, God, here's your to-do list. Instead of a honey-do list, it's a holy-do list. I just made that up right now in this moment. Somebody write that down. God, here's what you need to do and how you need to do it. And by the way, hurry up. And thank you for this food. So, I, I believe the purpose of prayer is that we would connect with the living God. And sometimes I think God in his kindness delays the answer we're asking for because he wants us to actually connect with him. And knowing that this is a deep passion of my heart and knowing that I was going to talk to you about this this morning, let me just share with you how I am smack dab in the middle of my own sanctification as well because Friday morning. Friday morning was a distracted morning. Friday morning, uh, I was trying to reply to some emails, trying to get some sermon prep done for next week, trying to knock some stuff out because we had to get on the road. We were driving to Shiner, Texas for round one of the playoffs for Temple Christian School where we had a dominating victory in the first round on Friday night. Yes. But we had to get on the road. We got to go. And Shiner is like basically somewhere between here and the South Pole. So I was what my family lovingly calls, and by my family, I mean my wife, calls task mode Doug. And so I'm like, God, here's the deal. I got something I need to talk to you about. Because Friday morning, our Kathy Wrench was having surgery. Um, Kathy is apparently watching right now. Kathy, we love you. Um, Kathy, one of the requests of her family was, I know I will be in ICU Sunday morning, but you come to the ICU with me and we're going to watch church together. So we love you. Um, If you don't know Kathy's story, uh, Kathy's been a part of this church, I will not say for how many years, but that number is not small. (laughs) Been a part of this church since she was a young person and an incredible woman of God. And she she had a fall at kids camp this summer, um, and she's had some struggles with that fall. But one of the blessings from that fall is when they were checking her out, 
they discovered an aneurysm in her brain that had been there for a long time that they would not have discovered if she would not had that fall. And as they've been working through all of this, they finally reached the point of our only option is we're going to have to actually do brain surgery to remove the aneurysm. That surgery was Friday morning. As you would think, with brain surgery, it was a long procedure. I was in task mode. I had a lot of things to do. And I realized probably two hours into Kathy's surgery that I had, I had been barking orders at God. While I'm going to talk to you about how important intimacy is in our praying, I'm like, and by the way, Kathy, do it. Hey, thank you. And so I just was convicted by the Holy Spirit at the coldness and demand of that moment. And I just, I physically stopped. And I took a deep breath. And before I could pray again for Kathy, I was overcome with an awareness of God's love for her. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't see a vision. But I'm telling you, I sensed the manifest presence of God in that moment with the reminder that he was just as present in that operating room with Kathy. Like all of a sudden it went from, God, here's what you need to do, to God, here you are. And that changes everything. Often we're praying for the transformation, and sometimes praying is the transformation. Like just slowing down and being still in the presence of God, that's what changes us. Which is why there's people who've prayed for scary things to change, and those things haven't changed yet, and yet they have peace. We're we're praying that God would set us free from something, and the freedom hasn't come yet, but somehow there's confidence. We're praying for God to deliver us from control, and somehow he's increasing our faith to trust him because prayer transforms us. And we've seen in the life of Daniel, right? At this point in the text, we've only known Daniel for about 70 years. And what we've known for 70 years is that three times a day, he was in the presence of God. I love how the text reads here in verse 3. It says, I turned my face to the Lord. Like that was the point. That I turned my face towards the living God. Seeking Him by prayer. Prayer is simply the tool. Prayer is not the point. It's that we would seek God. For some of us, the best thing we could do in prayer is talk a little less. Just seek Him. Allow our hearts to be repositioned towards the face of God. Because when I abide with Him, I am changed. Quickly, Mark Batterson in the book Circle Maker, I know a lot of us have read that book. He tells the story of the Apollo 11, um, July 16th. In 1969, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins, the the math of this is interesting to me. They had to get a 102,000-pound rocket out of the gravitational pull of planet Earth. What's interesting about 102,000 pounds of the machine that they're in is they had, if you convert from gallons to pounds, they had 5.6 million pounds of fuel. And they have to get 
out of the gravitational pull of Earth's orbit. To do that, they had to go 17,500 miles an hour. Some of you are like, that is how fast we drove to church because of how late we were today. Because our children would not get ready. 17,500 miles an hour. Fascinating, right? Eating through much of that 5.6 million pounds of fuel. When they finally broke the gravitational pull of the planet into the microphone for everyone to hear, Buzz Aldrin quoted the words of Jesus from John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who abides in me bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And I don't know what was going through his mind in that moment when he experienced that power and saw the planet getting smaller behind him. But I love what Mark Batterson said. He said, prayer connects us to the vine, Jesus himself. And in that connection, he's birthing the fruit in us of the power to break the gravitational pull of this world. That's what prayer does. The purpose of prayer is intimacy. Number two, the guide for prayer is the word. The, the script for prayer is not actually our words. It's God's words. Again, in verse 2, we see that Daniel's reading the prophet Jeremiah. He says from the books. Ironically, there was no such thing as books at this time in history. So he's probably reading from a scroll what we now know, because thankfully we do have books and they've added chapters and verses so we can actually maybe find something twice, is he's reading in either chapter 25 or 29, or maybe he read, read through both chapters because both mention the 70 weeks. And the thing is, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you actually have quoted one of those verses. Or maybe you wrote it on a card for a high school graduate, or maybe you bought a plaque that had something on it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 10, thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you. I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. He's prophesying from Jerusalem. You're like, no, I've never shared that verse with anyone. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. In the context of prayer is this promise to the people of God about the 70 weeks. And so he's reading this, we think, if the timeline's right, like right at the very end of their captivity. So he's basically reading this going, oh sweet, based on my Apple Watch, we're about to get released. And so he's essentially just praying back, hey God, do what you said. That's the, the best way to pray with confidence. It's just to pray God's word back to him. Uh, the great reformer Martin Luther said, the power of prayer is catching God in his own words. Right, God, you said, so do. And he does that even in this text. In verse 17, he quotes from uh, Numbers chapter 6. In verse 19, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. He's praying to God the words of God. This is the confidence. And so the reason we constantly talk to you about developing a relationship with God through this book is not because of this book. The point is not that you would know stuff about this book. 
It's that as you become a student of the Word, you begin to know the God who lives on the pages. And the more you know Him, the more you will love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you will be drawn to intimacy with Him. And the more drawn you are, the more you will talk to Him. And even better, the more you will allow your talking to be rightly guided by His own truth. This is the transformation of a relationship with God's Word that transforms us. The Bible is not the point. Intimacy with God is. Prayer, the purpose of it, is intimacy. The guide of it is God's Word. Quickly, the posture of prayer is repentance. The posture of prayer is repentance. In verse number 5, Daniel says, we have sinned. You would almost think that he went to synonyms.com and said, how else can I say this? And we get like a report from the Department of Redundancy Department here. We've sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turning aside from your commandments and your rules. It's like, dude, got it. That's, that's a very thorough, repentant spirit there. Thirteen times in this prayer, Daniel says, we have sinned against you. It's so redundant, we skipped most of it this morning for sake of time. We've sinned. We've sinned. Have I mentioned that we've sinned? Because we have sinned. And the reason that's interesting is if you remember from a couple weeks ago, I said Daniel's one of only three people in the Bible that we don't see his failures on display. I love that the Bible's full of normal, broken, busted up people. But Daniel, the stories that are captured in the book are his good days. (laughs) And yet he's like, no, no, no. I'm not the hero of the story. Like the mark of Daniel's spiritual maturity is the depth of awareness he had of how not God he was. Like the mark of spiritual maturity is not, I got this together. Me and God, bro, we're like this. No, no, no. It is, do you have any concept how far I have fallen short of the glory of God? Like the more I know him, the more I know me. And we aren't the same, bro. The Apostle Paul, the greatest church planner who ever lived. Like the man, right? First Timothy chapter 1. I love how the New Living Translation says this. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. And this is a trustworthy saying. You can take this to the bank. You can go to Snopes.com. It'll fact check. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them all. Why are we pretending to be so religious and got together? That's not why Jesus came. Like, let's literally just be like, oh, no, I'm in fan club, need Jesus. And the reason he came is for busted up, broken, normal people. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use the worst of them all me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others, other also worst sinners who are just like me, will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. If people watch our life and are pushed away from Jesus because they think they have to be perfect and pretty and vote the way we vote and do the things we do, then we're actually sending an anti-gospel message to the world. 
If instead when the world sees us, they go, they're a mess, and yet they are really confident they're accepted by God. They actually talk about their struggles. What is up with these freaks? I don't see any plasticness in them. Maybe there's room for me. That's the reality. And I'm just here to tell you, I might be your pastor. I'm in no better place in the conquering of sin than anybody else on planet Earth. I'm smack dab in the middle of my sanctification just like you are. This is not the comparison game. This is not the club of pretty people. We are people who are amazed at how beautiful Christ is. Jesus himself uses this incredible story in Luke chapter 18. Man, i got to speed up. Verse number 9. Jesus told this story. I want you to notice the two groups of people Jesus is telling the story to. To some who had great confidence in their own righteousness... And scorned everyone else, because if you are the one, we will be the other. If I have a lot of confidence in my righteousness, I will scorn everyone else. So Jesus tells this story. Two men went to the temple to pray. He's making up a story. When we do this, it's called lying. When Jesus does it, it's called parables. It's a thing. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. If you don't know the language of the New Testament, you're like, I don't know what the significance of that One thinks he's the hero, and one is viewed as the villain. Pharisee sees himself as a hero. Tax collector is the villain. The Pharisee stood by himself. By the way, pause. That is also where we will end up if we think we're more righteous than everyone else and we despise everyone else. We will end up isolated. For some of us, the struggle with community is not so much that we're introverts. It's that we think we don't need other people because we have it all together. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am awesome. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that guy. I fast twice a week. Some of you are like, I'm doing intermittent fasting. I must be a Pharisee. That's not what that means. And I give you a tenth of my income. We won't talk about what percentage of the congregation that might apply to Verse 13, but the tax collector, the villain in the story, stood at a distance, not stood removed socially, stood in a humble posture. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and said, God, be merciful to me because I know who I am. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee. By the way, they're both sinners. Jesus is just trying to help us understand. The sinner returned home justified before God. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The posture of prayer is repentance. God, I'm a mess. And apart from you, my mess will be messier. Quickly, number four, the focus of prayer is others. The challenge in this is not just that I pray for my needs and the needs of my loved ones, but that God is expanding the circles of my prayers. Daniel calls God to to respond. Don't delay. For your city, your people. He's praying for more than just his little circle around his feet. And here's what's amazing about the story of Daniel. We don't know if Daniel knew this yet, but very soon in the story, Cyrus is going to let the people of God return to Jerusalem. Many of them, about 50,000 of them. He will not go back to Jerusalem. He'll remain in the royal court for the rest of his days. 
I don't know if he knew that yet, but he's literally praying for a request that will not benefit him. That's beautiful. <laughs> like he's sincerely just interceding on the behalf of others. And if for you, you find your prayers drifting to yourself, here's my challenge this morning. If you don't know what else to pray for, here's what I want to ask you to pray for. If you'll let me pepper your prayer list for just a moment with some people you don't know. I would ask, pray for the newest infant that was just dropped off for the first day at Temple Days. That maybe while they're here in this place, that infant might experience the manifest presence of God over them. That God would cultivate in their mom and daddy's hearts the fact that God is a perfect heavenly father and that they should raise this child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then when you're done praying for the newest, youngest infant, pray for our 12th grade class as most of our seniors this time next year will be nearing their, the end of their first semester on a completely secular environment. Whether that's in a university or a trade school or whether they're going to go to the military or whether they're going to take a year off. Many of our students have been here since Temple Day's daycare. will be the first time in their life they've been outside a biblical worldview bubble. That God would expand our prayers to pray for the sake of the next generation. That he would expand our view outside of ourselves. And here's where I'm going to share a sermon illustration. Because I was dared to. On Friday, on the way to Shiner, Texas, we stopped at the Chick-fil-A of gas stations known as Bucky's. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? One of the delightful things about Bucky's is that they have the, the cookie dough balls. Anybody? Can I witness in the house of the Lord? Did I just see you furrow your brow in disgust? I don't think we can be friends. Listen, it's all about praying for others, especially Mackenzie Cutchall. Okay. Um, so our youngest son, Bryson, Wanted to get those, and I said, yes, that'd be great. Let's share those. That's really rich, and that's a lot of sugar. We'll share that. You're not getting your own whole one. No, can we please get two? No, we're going to share one. We get in the car. He starts eating them, and by share, I mean there was like a couple left at this point. And so he passes them up front um, to the front seat, and I set them down, and he's like, but there's not as many as we thought there were. And I, are you sure you want those? And are you, are you, when are you going to eat them? At what point in time are you going to eat those? What, how, is your sandwich done yet? But when are you going to eat them? Are you going to eat all of them? Is there going to be any left at the end? None of these questions are working. So then he says, I thought you were on a diet. <laughs> Marisa was driving at the time. She begins to weep and speak in tongues and praise the Lord. Almost drove off the road. It was a whole thing. As my wife is cackling out of control, Bryson says, I dare you to use that as a sermon illustration. And I said to him, if I were to do so, what would be the takeaway? He went to not be so selfish. I said, exactly, I'm eating all of these so that you will learn a lesson from the Lord. 
I didn't. I was so convicted about my diet. I only ate two and gave him the rest. (laughs) The reality is my prayer life often gets awfully self-absorbed. Man, so often when I'm talking to the Lord, it's like the circle gets smaller. And it's normal to intercede for the people we love most. I I don't even think that's unhealthy. I just think that that's all we ever go to him about. That's not his vision of what prayer is supposed to be. That we would broaden for the sake of generation. Broaden our prayers. Next, the motivation of prayer is God's love. And, oh, can we just park here for a minute? Let's, okay. Daniel reads the scripture. He starts seeking the presence of God in repentance. He's interceding for others. And God sends Gabriel to meet with him. And he says this, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. I am not Gabriel. But I'm telling you, I have come on the authority of God's word to tell you something this morning. That word wasn't just for Daniel. You are greatly loved by the king of kings. I mean, not loved. That would be fantastic. Greatly loved. Not a hint of you're tolerated because we're family. I mean, it's almost Thanksgiving, right? There's none of that. You are greatly loved. Loved by the God of all gods. When I believe that, that's going to draw me towards intimacy with him. Like the fuel that drives prayer is the gospel. God's glorious grace, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness. And here's what's amazing. Daniel has been trafficked. He is a prisoner. His life has been threatened over and over again. He was just in a lion's den one page over. And he's like, here's the message from God. God's love is so great for you that it's not limited to or defined by your circumstances. This confidence is why I believe we see Daniel consistent in prayer. I don't think primarily what we've seen in the life of Daniel for 70 years, for the last few weeks is mostly about discipline. It's about faith. Meaning some of us, anytime you hear a sermon on prayer, you start to beat yourself up going, I don't pray enough, I'm a bad Christian. I need to have more willpower. Maybe you think like I did with the cookie dough balls. You're like, man, I'd be doing better with my diet if I just tried harder. And I actually don't think prayer is about willpower. It's about belief in the love of God for us. That he would deepen our faith. I read a great explanation of of this very idea in prayer by Jen Wilkin. Jen Wilkin and I share something in common. She loves Cheetos. Since we're talking about diet, let's just continue to be transparent in the house of the Lord today. I love Cheetos. Anybody like Cheetos? They're great. Like, don't give me flaming hot weird... Don't pervert the goodness... Of God. Just regular original Cheetos. Hey, the other ones are fine for like on the side, but like keep it pure, man. So she really likes Cheetos as well. And she was trying to not eat so many Cheetos 
until one day she realized that there was one simple thing that would set her free from the struggle. She read the label on a bag of Cheetos. She said two things on that label changed her life. What was there and what wasn't there. What was there, in her words, not a single word I could pronounce. That's not how food's supposed to work, if you don't know that. Number two, here's what was not there. Cheese. There was no cheese. That's fascinating. She said this. Prior to this revelation, it would have taken the self-control of a Navy SEAL to quell my yearning for Cheetos. But after I understood what Cheetos were and were not, my heart stopped craving them so much. Because a change in belief always leads to a change in desires. And in the same way, when we grow to believe that God loves us just as much as he says, when we grow in our belief that God listens to us, that God welcomes us, that God desires to meet with us and work through our prayers, we begin to do what all the self-discipline in the world had not been able to help us do, to pray. This is our hope. And, and this is the confidence. We, we ran by this, and so I want to pause here. I know we're getting late. Hang with me. Verse 18, we do not present our pleas before you because of, your, because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Our confidence in our prayer life is not our goodness. It's his. It's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's not how we sound off. Breaker, breaker, 10-4 in Jesus' name, out. Like, in Jesus' name is the whole authority of the thing. The whole hope of the thing. Here's the last observation. The goal, the purpose, the mission, the whole point of it all is intimacy. The posture is of repentance. The, the audience of our prayer is others. Here's the duration of our prayer. The duration of our prayer is until there's an answer. If the math is right, he's been praying Already for 69 years for this thing. What if he'd have quit praying in year 69? Don't stop praying. I don't know about you, but I, I can't imagine praying for the same thing for 69 years. I'm pretty sure I'd give up. I want to share a couple, couple observations of this before we close. One is, if you're not aware, we, we have an orphanage out of our church in Nigeria called A Place of Hope Africa. And... A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of taking Pastor Lance there for the first time, and uh, I'd not been in a few, since the pandemic. Um, and we also went to see if things are opened up enough there that we could finally take a group back again. And we are not going to make that announcement today, but I will tell you, an announcement is coming soon to that regard. While we were there, I had the privilege of preaching um, in our church plants that are there, including the church plant where all of our kids attend. We have 108 kids now, so we don't go to church. We started a church there at Place of Hope. And at the end of the service, um, we gave an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And one of our young people, Emmy, came forward and counseled with our lead missionary there, Walt, um, and gave his life to Jesus. He was born again. There's a picture here. Uh, after the service of me standing with Emmy, he came after everybody had left. He's pretty shy. After everybody had left, 
He, he waited for everybody to leave, came back in and said, can we have our picture taken? With nobody else watching. And I'm like, well, yes, I'm in Nigerian pajamas. Let's get our picture taken. Then we went to lunch, and Karen said, can you believe that about baby Emmy? And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was baby Emmy? What a lot of you might not know if you're new to our life is a place of hope in 2014 went through a really difficult time. And the only reason that it's still a place of hope today is because of the prayers of God's people. And in 2014, when things were as bleak as they could be, we had a whole slew of kids diaper-aged, including baby Emmy. I remember him in the next picture. In my mind, that's still who he was. I didn't even connect the dots. And, and here's what I believe. I believe with all of my heart that he came to faith in Jesus a couple weeks ago because God's still answering some of your prayers from 2014. We've talked a lot this year about how there's no expiration date on God's prayers. And one day you're going to get to see Emmy before the throne of God and be reminded again. And so we keep praying. Jesus, we quoted from Jesus in Luke chapter 18. Here's the story before that story. Verse 1, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Here's the story he makes up. There's a judge in a certain city, he said who neither feared God nor cared about people. That doesn't sound like a very good judge. Doesn't sound anything like the heart of God. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. Verse 4, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. You can tell it's a made-up story, right? No politician's ever been that honest about themselves. Verse 5, but this woman... It's driving me crazy. Some of you are like, I have a new life verse. That took a minute. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he. Rendered a just decision in the end. Don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who crowd him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he'll grant justice to them quickly. When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? And that really is the whole heart of this thing. If I really have faith that he loves me as much as he says he does, then I will feel confident to nag him until he answers. Even welcomed to nag him until he answers. That kind of prayer is only driven by faith. One last story that I've been waiting for months to tell you until today. I have a friend who's a pastor outside of Cincinnati named Rob Rosenbaum. He and his wife Jessica are an amazing couple think the world of them. I really hope one day you're going to get to meet Rob. 
uh, he and Jessica were scheduled to do a marriage workshop with us in March of 2020. That got canceled, in case you missed it. And so I hope one day he's going to get to come back. I love Rob. Great guy. But Rob has been progressively losing his hearing for most of his adult life. He has some really high-end, fancy hearing aids, but he continues to struggle. I was preaching at a, a couple youth camps in Ohio this summer, not far from him. So we got to have breakfast together, and he proceeded to tell me, something's wrong with my hearing. He said, the very end of June, I woke up one morning, and it sounded like I was standing next to a piece of heavy machinery, just running, roaring. He said, I've been to the doctor, and they've told me they have no idea if this will ever go away. This might be the new normal for me. He said, even when I'm up preaching, all I hear is that roar. I don't even know if I'm saying the words that I'm trying to form in my brain. I don't know if I can do this. He was so discouraged. A week later, I got a text from a young lady out of his church who works with Mana Worldwide. She said, Doug, I'm reaching out to a couple of Rob's friends. She said, I just feel compelled by the Holy Spirit, without Rob's knowledge, to set up a 40-day prayer chain on Rob's behalf. So you join with a handful of us. We're going to pray for Rob every day for the next 40 days. Because I did not trust myself to remember that for 40 days in a row, I set an alarm at 513. Rob's zip code outside of Cincinnati is 513. So I set a 513 alarm on my phone every day to pray for Rob. That's what I said on my phone, pray for Rob. Me and a group of our friends and some people I've never met, actually, started praying for Rob. On the 40th day, our friend Allie called Rob and said, I just want you to know, there's a group of us that have been praying for you for the last 40 days. And we hope you'll be encouraged by that. She said, but I got to ask, have you seen any change? He started to cry. Rob's not a very emotional guy. He said, Allie, you won't believe this. I had no idea y'all were doing this, but I woke up this morning, day 40, and the first words that came out of my mouth is I told Jessica, the noise is gone. Not on day 39. (laughs) Not on day one. Those moments are a gift from God to remind us that prayer works Because he's as good as he says he is. He's trustworthy. It's not our prayers that move mountains. It's the authority of God who welcomes us to pray to him. And this morning, I'm going to ask that we would just spend a moment in prayer together. If it's true, if what my undergrad professors said is true, if nothing's talked about more in practice less than prayer then let's just practice for a minute. What we're going to do in just a moment is give a moment for prayer. After a moment of prayer, we're going to sing one last song. And and here's, we, we do this every week. Lance will be down front on this side. I'll be down front on this side if you want to come pray with us. 
There will be some folks in the prayer room in the back if you want to go to the back of the room and pray or talk to someone. Perhaps you need to talk to somebody about a personal relationship with God. You can do that in the prayer room. If you're online today, you can text PRAYFW to 94000. We'll come alongside that thing. Maybe you want to have a conversation about your relationship with God as well. Just text us. We'd love to engage. I want to invite you, if you want to come do so, that you'd come down and and kneel down front. There's nothing magical that happens here, but there is something about this posture here that's meaningful to a lot of people. We'd encourage you to come. Grab a friend. Grab a family member. And what I'm going to challenge you to do this morning is not just that we would sit and bow our heads and pray in our hearts, but that we grab somebody and pray out loud right now for whatever the thing is that's on your heart that you walked in here with. And maybe it's not something you're comfortable talking about out loud, so you don't have to disclose your stuff. You can pray in an appropriate way. But we want to create space right now that we wouldn't just think about prayer or be challenged by prayer. And I sure don't want you to leave here feeling guilty about your lack of prayer. So let's do it. Like right now, let's pray together. Some of you, your community group, you've been praying for the same thing for the last several weeks. Y'all go make a scene, push chairs out of the way, and pray together. Whatever. This opportunity is for you that we might respond.